Things change from one generation to the next. Attitudes, politics, technology, even lifestyles. But when it comes to business, there's one thing every generation has in common. The pursuit of excellence. Welcome to Generation Excellence. A conversation with next-gen leaders of family businesses who are working to preserve the past and innovate the future. And now, here's the host of Generation Excellence and a third-generation business owner himself, Jamie Michelson. Jamie? The World's Fair in New York. The start of World War II. The year was 1939, and a business was founded in Detroit that leads me to my guest on the podcast, Mark Schechter. Mark is the CEO and third-generation owner of Schechter Wealth, a firm doing investment advisory and private capital investing for clients around the country. Mark will explain the roots of his firm in life insurance and how that has been the catalyst to provide a broader set of services for clients. Mark is a true entrepreneur and humble leader. I can't insure, but can assure you will gain generation excellence from Mark Schechter. Good afternoon, Mark Schechter of Schechter. Good afternoon, Jamie. And a business that covers investments and private capital and insurance. And I'm not going to make you explain all the, the legs of the business and, and that part of it, but I think we're going to talk about the organization and 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 how and there's definitely a business that's evolved and has certain roots in certain areas and and has brought on other areas as as you've grown. So um and I and I know little bits, but I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to kind of getting the, the straight story, but for your, your, your company, your firm, and if I understand it right, it's your great uncle that's part of the founding in 1939. Exactly. Uh, My father's uncle. Yes. Your father's uncle. So if you, t- right. if you take us back to kind of what the original origin business was, how it or you know it to be founded what the, you know, some of the mythology and reality of that will kind of go, we'll cover like eight decades from there. Sure. Sure. Father's uncle, uh, Rudy Lightman was his name in 1939. He began uh, with New York life insurance company. Okay. Um, and he was selling life insurance and uh, very successfully. I remember night. I don't remember, but I know that in 1959, he was the number one life insurance guy at New York Life in the country right. out of like 4,000 agents or something like that. Um, not a real technical approach, more of a product kind of sale. Um, my father was a engineer, Michigan, University of Michigan, okay. MBA, uh, working with a steel plant um, in the early 70s. He was running steel plants. And um, industry went out of business, you know, industry went bankrupt. Sure. Father got out of the business, went and joined his uncle at New York Life. After six months there, he pulled his uncle out of New York Life to go independent. Okay. Uh, it's kind of a coup with the number one New York Life guy in the country leaving. And my dad just recognized my dad was much more analytical. Um, and recognized that New York Life was not always the best solution every time for every client and um, went independent, brought a very technical approach to life insurance, estate planning, business planning. Um, and uh, he ended up being the number one guy in the New York Life organization out of 12,000 agents now, having only put 30% of his business with New York Life in 1999. So uh, 
Um, all of his growth was from uh, really knowing more tax law than most tax attorneys in the country and uh, really analytical approach to the mathematics inside of insurance policies. Um, we, uh, I joined the business in uh, 2002. So before uh, we go to your joining the business like 20 yeah. years ago, what, what, do you, what is kind of, you know, because your dad's doing it, the, um, what is your like first memory of that business? Was it him bringing something home and talking about it? Was him taking you to an office or a client? Yeah, totally, totally going to the office in the town center. Okay. Uh, or the, yeah, we, we lived uh, five houses south of 11 mile right near Evergreen, Lazar. And he was, uh, you know, in the gold buildings, the town so the center. The town the center then in Southfield, Michigan, are like the new suburban gleaming exactly. glass towers, right, right? right? Yeah. And it was the first one, right? There's now four of them, but right. they came up every seven years or something, okay. the high rises. And uh, God, I, I was young and it was just where he would, you know, go on the weekend with him when he was going in or, okay. you know, take me back after dinner and I'd do my homework there or something like that. Uh, but it was nothing about the actual business and what he was doing. Uh, I think maybe when I was, um, you know, in ninth grade or something, I might've started interning or spending some time sure. going on a few meetings with him or, you know, driving the car for him while he could work in the car, <laughs> you know, if we had a meeting in, I don't know, other cities. Uh, so those are my earliest memories. And then, so you, I mean, you go to, to, as you're going like off to college, which also was University of Michigan, correct? Correct. correct. And it, as you're kind of determining what you're going to do post of, of that experience at college, where was it, were you always sort of destined to go in this business wanting to, because I know you had a whole entrepreneurial venture first. What was, what was there a plan? What, how did that all go? Um, you know, my dad made it very clear to myself, my brother, and my sister, that if any one of us wanted to come in the business, he would love all of us to. Okay. Uh, he did stipulate though, that it was uh, mandatory that if we were to do that, it would be after we've gone out and created our own careers and our lives and Great. built our own success and, um, mostly for our own self-confidence. Yep. Um, and, um, that's what we all did. And we all took three different paths. I was gearing towards a career in international business in Wall Street. I, I majored in Spanish and the business school stuff in Michigan and was gearing towards there. I got sidetracked with an entrepreneurial venture that kept me from there. Mm -hmm. But my sister was in a designer, uh, went to New York and worked in design magazines. And um, my brother was a computer engineer, went out to Stanford and Sun Microsystems and a, a whole nother world. And so when you joined the firm now, just about 20 years ago, um, and, and I mean, if you want to talk a little bit about your entrepreneurial ventures and what you were doing there, and I, I think really what you learned from, from all of that, because I know those businesses and your partners. Sure, sure. And so when I was a junior at Michigan, I had started the karaoke concept before karaoke was around. Okay. So, uh, I had seen people, um, you know, mixing audio signals, you know, at, at Disney or Cedar Point or something like that, and saw a lot of people watching it and having fun with it. And uh, I went to one of the bars in Ann Arbor 
Uh, and I said, if I come in here and I, you know, bring mixed audio signals and I'm bringing lyrics and I get people to come to your bar, um, would you pay, how much would you pay me to come grow your, you know, alcohol revenue, your drink, your, your revenues? And got to a situation where we got 20% of everything over their average Tuesday night or Wednesday night. And right. ultimately started packing the place and and built a business that was doing, you know, different bars on different campuses and doing 15 bars a week. And then it morphed into private events. We were an Inc. 500 company in 1996, uh, morphed into corporate events. Uh, did a lot of events for General Motors, for Quicken, brought you know, Black Eyed Peas to the queue in Cleveland and, you know, big event planning. Business. And that ultimate company or, or organization for listeners was called Pulse 220, right? Uh, yeah, it started as a company called Star Trek. Star Tracks. And, they, and, then, US, and then, they, then the corporate side was Pulse 220. And then it was ultimately acquired by George P. Johnson. And I did not know the original, original roots was karaoke before karaoke. So at some point you'll have to say what your go-to karaoke song is. Sure. So, so you're doing, you're doing that. And was there some event, some reason that, you know, in, in 2002 that you joined Schechter or what, what kind great, of, great spurred that? Um, it was a confluence of events. Um, I had brought on some, a bit, a business partner who, um, started to run our core business while I um, started to run a uh, dot com. It was right during the dot com boom of okay. you know, yeah. 2000, right. 2001. And, you know, we wanted to jump in and, and create a online meeting and event, a li- online meeting booking planning, you know, site. Uh, so my partner said, Mark, you run that. We'll take care of the ship. And you know, we'll build something bigger together and, and more. And I went off to do that and it didn't work. When the dot com busted, we busted. Um, and I had all intentions to come back, but my partners were doing a spectacular job. I see running, running the ship. And all of a sudden I had uh, started to think, you know, I could choose other careers um, one of them I looked at was the family business amongst others and concluded on, uh, joining my dad, mostly because I knew how much he loved the business, how much it suited him, his career and his work life balance and everything. And he just was very passionate and loved doing what he did. And I felt very similar to similar personality as he, um, and thought I would enjoy it. And I was excited to, he had really built a great reputation, um, and I thought that as successful as he was, uh, he was really a tremendous professional, um, and he was not as much of a, not as entrepreneurial uh, in terms of building a business. And there was a huge opportunity to leverage his. Um, his strengths and what and his reputation into something much. And was this business the Schechter name from day one? I mean, it, uh, uh, it started with Lightman Schechter. Okay. When, when my dad pulled his uncle out, because you said Lightman uh, being the founder, that's why. I right, so okay. Right. And unfortunately, a year after they left, uh, Lightman uh, passed away. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. So your dad's doing this, you, you join, it's still very heavily kind of insurance 
based and focused, right? Where, where in, in your earlier years or mid years there did kind of the expansion into, uh, you know, investment management, wealth management, capital markets, what, when, what, what was the catalyst for all of that and how did, how, and when did that all come about? It, it was really seeing a void in what our, you know, as we would advise clients, we would go very deep into their estate plans and we would okay. understand you know, their entire asset base and mix and objectives and goals and, and businesses. And um, we just saw time after time, we felt that they were not getting the um, type of investment guidance that we thought Got it. was available and they should have been. And we, every year in our planning meetings, which I started instituting when I came over, uh, we would contemplate, do we want to grow horizontally and create more verticals, uh, as opposed to just continuing to do more and more in our vertical. Uh, we were a little worried about, we did get a lot of insurance, a lot of referrals from investment advisors for insurance. And we were worried about competing. We're going to compete with our feeder our, system. Or, yeah. Right. I mean, but it, it was not that significant. It was only here uh, in the Detroit area where that was an issue, but we had clients all over the country. Um, and so we just thought there was a, a, Opportunity to provide them with it's tremendous and, when, and you joined you joined the firm. How many people were working with your father at that time and you and uh, there were 12, 12. And, and what are you today? Uh, so now we're 95. There were there were when we were 12. It was an employee benefits group, too. That was about five okay. and seven in the insurance group. So now the employee benefits group is about 15. And in our private capital, wealth management, insurance, financial services side, we are 80. And most of that organic growth, but you've done some acquisitions, right? You found some other for people or groups that have some to fill some gaps and just did in. our just did our first one, Jamie. Oh, just your first one. Okay. Yeah. In October, uh, a group in Chicago uh, that felt really had the same type of uh, culture and values as we did. And uh, we saw great synergies in bringing them on board. And they are three people, three of our. Well, that, that's a great segue because the way you said that just did our first one sounds like you're not done or you would consider others. Some yeah. people would say just did our first and last one, you know, <laughs> that's sort of telling how it went. So, so now business that, you know, in a couple of years, we'll look at that milestone of being 85 years in operation, right? If my math's right. sort of okay. Right. And so as you look out, it, you know, it's tougher right now to look far out, but as you plan for the future of, of this organization, what are some of the things you're looking at? What are some of those other gaps you think you could fill in or, or do, or as you go horizontal or, or deeper, just yeah, what are you have, looking at? We have very clear vision, three-year plan, five-year plan. We just actually, uh, on Monday this week, we had our annual planning session. Um, and, uh, we're staying in these verticals right now. Right. You know, maybe something comes up, but right now our focus is to stay in these three these three legs of investment advisory, life insurance, and private capital. Okay. Um, and in the very interesting times in those businesses, yeah. Yeah. And in the investment advisory, we are going to be bringing in other groups. Uh, right okay. now, we're focused in 22, just honing in and refining more more of our systems and processes and then going out in 23 and bringing in two groups and 24 bringing in four groups 
Uh, so that's our current plan on that side. The insurance side, we've done a real morphing of our business where we are we have such a unique sophistication on this, what we do that we are very attractive to other life insurance advisors around the country. So about 80% of our life insurance business comes from other life insurance professionals. I see. Bring, okay. bring us into their more sophisticated client situations and we share revenue with them. So that's that's how that vertical is growing. And on the private capital side is we've made 27 direct investments in the companies that we've worked very hard to source direct access into those uh, companies. And we've been fortunate to get into companies like DraftKings and Peloton. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of great ones before they get too big. Sure. Um, and we're uh, just looking to build our team that can keep getting unique access to those. And you, so you spend, I mean, like your day or your time is spent on the private capital. I mean, how, what are, how do you, what do you all touch? And you know, as uh, you have, I'm a little bit, uh, I'm, I'm always charged to do a lot of things. So uh, I feel like I like jumping around and mm-hmm. having my days in all the areas. Um, I love being with our clients and helping advise yeah. them and the long-term relationships that I build and have had and enjoy catching up with them, whether it's, you know, three times a year or something like that, sure. talking bigger picture. Uh, I love going deep on our private capital businesses and, you know, uh, digging in and diligencing these owners and business models and what they're doing. And if it's something I want to invest in uh, and bring to our clients. Um, And on the insurance side, uh, I'm doing a lot of speaking around the country. I'm asked to come in and our different teams and of course, leading and managing um, more from a uh, relationship standpoint and an accountability standpoint. We brought in a president a few years ago to run all three business lines. And I've never been good at, you know, holding people accountable and management. And so, and I don't really enjoy it. And I've been successful in building a team that that's their strengths. And, and as you've uh, built that team and identified that talent internally and meet with clients and do the speaking, are, is there, are there some a mantra, a credo, words of wisdom that go back to the founder or then, you know, your your father? Are there some things that whether they're emblazoned on a wall or in a handbook somewhere, some things yeah. that you still carry forward? And Absolutely. We have what we call our four core values okay. that were really created and driven by, um, I think, how my father built the business. I can't go further back to his sure. uncle. I don't know how that was, but when I came into the business right away, I knew the importance of creating that. Is what you know? Why are we getting up each day? What are we doing? Right. How are we going to live? Who are we going to hire? What kind of people are we going to hire? Who are we going to fire? Um, and uh, we came up with what we felt best, you know, fit him and his objectives. And uh, very simple: clients' needs first, number one. Number two, we're the experts. Just being, you know, better than ninety, known more than ninety-nine percent of okay. our competitors. Technically, studying, sharpening our saw all the time. Um, special place to be and grow for our teammates, um, and providing a wow service. So, just not enough to just do a good job for our clients. But what can we do? And just get everybody thinking about how we can keep improving our. Yeah, nicely our done. Delivery. For those who know, it's a podcast. There's no video. 
Mark has no uh, visual. I mean, he that's from knowledge and he's, he's not looking at any sheet or anything to articulate those four driving values. Now, you mentioned, you know, sister in design, brother, really high tech world. Either of them ever been involved directly in in the business? With uh, no, we get a little, little help here and there with, you know, okay. my sister will help out with some design logos. And actually now we're we're moving offices uh, in, in Birmingham and she's helping design the facilities. So she's helped on that side. My brother, actually about 10 years ago, we tried to use his computer skills to uh, be able to find anomalies in some, you know, uh, investment opportunities and analyze, analyze data, uh, things like that. But, um, but really no. And then, you know, what, potential is there then is there anyone that is fourth generation involved in any way shape or form or on horizon for that nobody involved just because of age but i think right. our our oldest fourth generation is now 27 okay uh, my brother's children uh, a couple of them are 27 and uh my kids i have three that are 26 to 21 uh i've i've put in force the same rules that my father did, right? Go do what you're going to do. And, uh, and I found too, that in my situation, besides the confidence, you know, it's bringing, bringing another skill set to the company. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, I love all three of all, if all three of mine want to come in and they're all very different children and they're I'm sure. Um, and they probably will have different skills and experiences and, and we could use them all. You know, Great. So we'll just see yeah. if they fit or they don't fit what their what their lives bring them. I mean, it's it's it's. I mean, it's just it just to be doing that when you do the three year planning, five year planning. I mean, that ultimately it's about that really long game kind of thinking, right? That a next generation could be making their mark on a place that's got legacy. How, how do you? Um, you know, with all that history and stuff come, can come complacency, but you see, you've got a lot of energy. You said you touch everything. You're You know, personally, how do you keep yourself sharpening that saw and fired up and enthused? And what do you, what do you do to uh, you both get away from it? Cause it can be all consuming, but also keep yourself sort of engaged in what's going on. Um, so I probably am not a good role model at <laughs> getting away from it. Cause I, I think I kind of do feel like, um, for better or for worse, um, building the business, building our reputation uh, for doing a great job, doing more are all things that I just innately want to do more of. I understand. So I I just keep putting probably too much time of my life into all these areas of the businesses, but I I love doing it. and I love the challenge. I feel like I always just my personality just needs to be challenged. And okay. I, don't, I don't feel good, you know, at the end of the day, what it, what excited me about that day. And uh, I if I don't have a few things that make me feel really good, I just feel like I'm missing something. I mean, and you, you know, I, I heard some another interview I was listening to. I don't remember who said it, but his definition of like the entrepreneur and all that was it was someone who spends like 100 hours a week to avoid working 40 hours a week for somebody else. Mm-hmm. And I went, yeah, that's that was just to make me smile. I thought it was kind of an interesting thought. Uh, you mentioned that 
leadership team you have and some, you know, you know what you're good at, what you like to do. I, how would you describe your leadership style? Um, or how would others describe it? Yeah, I think it's um, setting high. I think people would say I set a high bar, very visionary. Okay. I think I'm um, a very approachable, uh, a teacher, maybe mentor, mm -hmm. uh, but got a lot going on. Maybe, maybe a little unorganized. Uh, and it's, you know, just very visionary. And, and what, uh, you know, with a team that you have, um, and especially, you know, we're recording this in, in the beginning of 2022. So, you know, business and the world's been through a lot and we're still dealing with things. What's like a best idea that you've implemented at your organization lately? Uh, a tactic, a technique, a skill, technology, you know, or even something you're experimenting with? Tough one. I, I, I think. I mean, the acquisition certainly won, but. Yeah, I, I think our commitment to technology for mm -hmm. our clients and our teammates. I think we all believe in that. I believe in it a lot. Make significant investments. I think some others in the industry don't or might think it's too much to put into uh, a technology budget. Um, but I think that's important to win business uh, and to make us more productive. Great. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I talk a lot. I mean, yours is a business where you got human capital and then tech, well, you have capital capital and then, and then technology, right? I mean, and, and you're weighing those, those things a lot in the combination of them. Uh, and God. You know, anything that you are yourself, um, I mean, we're always looking to improve and grow. Um, although when you mentioned karaoke, I got a cold chill because singing is not anything. I would avoid that at all costs. <laughs> uh, but, you know, anything like that that you're personally, is that, I guess it's that sharpening the saw thing that you're kind of looking at for your own self. You know, as we get into these different verticals, I'm just always with our core value of we're the experts. I, um, you know, I was an expert in Spanish and business and then in event planning and in, you know, business building businesses right. and then in insurance and now investments and probably just like, just now I've been digging deeper into more and more um, investments and asset classes and understanding more about real estate, understanding more about private debt, understanding more, um, most recently about blockchain. I was sure. sharpening, sharpening my saw yesterday and learning more about blockchain. I want to learn a lot more. Uh, I think that too many people get. Um, and often, is it, and would you say that, Mark, that's from your own curiosity and interest, even before it's sort of clients asking about it? Um, um, it's not clients asking about it, but it's my, my belief that as a professional investment advisor and in the financial services world, I need to know what's going on. About. Right. I, I'm, I might be just as curious about, you know, what's going on with Djokovic in Australia, but I'm not finding time to, right. uh, to, to dig into that. Yeah. 
again. And, and I mean, it's that kind of that Buffett line of I'm a better investor because I'm a businessman, better businessman, investor, right? Did this, the, exactly. the, the private work that you do gives you exposure to business models, right? You learn a lot from that, I assume. Exactly. And I'm investing, I, you know, I'm investing a lot into different asset classes, different types of businesses. And as an investor myself, you I want certainly to- learn a lot when you put your own money on the line in these categories and spaces. Right. Yes. And that's an opportunity. I, I think, I think we need to know a lot more about it and be a lot deeper into it over the next, you know, five, 10 years. And then, you know, for podcasts where I have focused and talking to people who represent, you know, second, third, like yourself, even beyond leaders in family enterprises, that's great. And they have just the perspective of all they're dealing with within their own company. And often that has some family dynamics. You have, I'm sure, a number of clients from family offices to just clients that they themselves are second, third beyond in their family organizations, right? Do you, I mean, anything that either you've learned from watching those people or that you advise or or kind of put forth to them Uh, in those Yes, 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 and yes. Yeah, okay. So, right. I've been uh, fortunate to be able to see you know, over the last 20 years how different families work and how families transition businesses, how they manage charitable philanthropic endeavors together or individually, how much they share uh, with their children or not, about, share information with their children mm-hmm. or not, share wealth with their children or not. Uh, and I've seen, you know, we've, we've got hundreds you know, probably four or 500 clients that I've seen uh, significant wealth and families and how they've approached it. Um, I've learned from it. I've seen how my, I've been fortunate to be a recipient of, um, you know, my parents who have generated some wealth and Mm -hmm. uh, built a business and how they managed to distribute that to children and grandchildren and their philosophies um, and so uh, I, I, being in that situation, I feel like I am in a good position to share my experiences with my clients and it goes, so it goes back and forth. I mean, any, any uh, you know, basic kind of either cautionary tales you have for people that find themselves in those situations or the positives, um, you know, I mean, it's a deep and everyone's unique situation. I, I'll tell you one thing that, um, I find I'm shocked that so many people associate the act of transferring wealth to children or grandchildren with the fact that um, it can screw up their character, you know, and that's true. But if depending on their age and where their character is, uh, but also you don't have to tell your children that you're doing this. They don't need to know it's there. It can be a trustee can control mm-hmm. some of this. They don't have to know there's, you know, $15 million in that trust. You know, a trustee can siphon off 150 grand a year for that child who's a teacher and not making enough money, you know, but we're not giving them all. We're not changing their character. And I think there's just this immediate affiliation with if I'm giving my money to my kids, I'm going to screw them up. Right. You got to be careful and you can if you do it improperly. There's so many ways to do it properly. Right. Just a shame for, in my opinion, for the tax man to come and take 40 percent after 
uh, you've paid income tax on it all your life. All your life and built something. Right. And when there's ways to transition it and work with charities and things like that to do other wonderful things. And and then so for, you know, the business called Schechter for you, Mark Schechter, is is you is you do this and have done this for a while and you're you're still building something and you're still excited and energized about it. What I ask, I ask everybody this and it's sort of the one universal question I've done since I started this podcast. What's the most fulfilling thing for you about this generational family business that you're a part of and that you're stewarding? Um, I think it's probably hearing positive feedback in the community and from our clients about them having a great experience uh, with our with our company, uh, with us being a valuable and important piece of their lives. And hearing the stories about, you know, different teammates of mine that, you know, someone comes up to me and raves about what a great job. That's nice. Doing. Right. Right. And that's that makes me happy. Yeah, speaks to your coaching and mentoring and and all. Is there I mean, you know, again, covering 80 plus years of a business that's evolved and, and deals with stuff that's both business and transactional, but also is highly emotional and and, you know, really gets into so much. Is there anything else I should have or could ask you about Schechter, both as a business and organization, especially, you know, the family and the legacy part of it? Um. I don't think, I mean, I, I could tell you lots, lots and lots of things, but not one particular thing is, you know, popping out at me. I just think um, you mentioned the word a steward of a business. And I think that's a responsibility that I feel. Uh, I think it's, it's exciting and scary, uh, but I feel like I want to, the, the, the fact, I feel there's more pressure to keep doing a good job to keep yeah. the reputation, to keep it alive, to, uh, so. Uh, Wonderful word you use, responsibility. One one time talking with somebody, I, I may have mistakenly said burden and weight, and they said, no, it's not that, it's a responsibility. I said, no, that's the right word. And, right. and uh, well, Mark, I thank you for sharing that bits. There's so, there's, I mean, there's so many more things and I don't know, we might do a second episode because the, what you actually do for clients has its own learning and, and application and even what you're learning from sort of that private capital space, because those stories become, you know, the cover of magazines and business shows and stuff. But I thank you for being part of Generation Excellence and, uh, you know, wish you and your team all the best. Thank you, Jamie. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening. Special thanks to Sam Daly, Eric Head, and Joel Bienenfeld at SMZ for helping make Generation Excellence, well, excellent. Until next time, I'm Jamie Michelson.